Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. And I'd like to give a big shout out and thank you to our latest patrons on Patreon.com. Big shout out goes to Maximilian Ewalt, Tracy Wright, and Marisa Dranjak. Thank you very much for your support. What's going on? In this segment, we talk about what's going on in the world of Sense8 fandom. Martin Earhart, the creator of Sensate Is My Life documentary, is coming near the final editing phase. So he needs you to make that video. Just take out your cell phone and make a video of why you love Sensate, how it has affected your life. And if you say it in your own language, and that is not English, simply also translate it with a written um, translation sent to him at sense8withoutborders at gmail.com. So that's sense8, as in the number, withoutborders at gmail.com. Be a part of this documentary, which will be going down in history and documenting this incredible fan experience and how much Sense8 impacted. Imagine taking out your cell phone now for just a couple minutes, submitting that to Martin, and knowing that 20, 30 years from now, when people are watching Sense8, they will look at back at that documentary and they will know how it impacted you. Is that cool or what? All right, we also have the... I am also a wee con in Berlin. We talked to them last week. That Indiegogo fundraiser is still going on, and they need your donations. They have a goal to reach in order to do this first and so far only nonprofit con in Berlin in November. So whether you can attend or not, get over to Indiegogo and search I am also a we con. Donate as much as you can and help this continue through supporting this con so that people from around the world can come together and celebrate the Sensate life. And another way of documenting Sensate in history is the mural project. And many of you know that Maximilian Ewald has been spearheading the campaign. She is working with the mural artist, Deirdre Weinberg, and we have them both here today to tell you where that is in process. Good morning, Maximilian and Deirdre. 
morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. So this is exciting. You are now, your Kickstarter is in process and you are ready. Everything is in order and the the fundraising in order to do this mural in San Francisco is on its way. Maximilian, can you tell me a little bit about the the mural and um, what led you to this point? Wow. Okay. Well, this was the idea of uh, fans, uh, international fans. I'm not sure what country. It might have been Poland who had this idea to create original murals in all the cities where Sense8 was shot. And I thought that was a brilliant idea, and so I started thinking about it here in San Francisco where we have a lot of murals, and there are a number of murals in the show. Um, so I thought, well, I can connect the dots. I, I know artists and see what happens. So I started talking to people and um, found a wall pretty immediately. I mean, it just was magical, just like <laughs> Sensei. Once I put the word out, it, it just started falling into place like magic, finding the wall, contacting Deirdre and saying, yes, she would, like, she would love to be part of this and to create this mural, and she loves the show. And it just, I, as I'm talking about it, the hair on my arms is standing up because it was just, it's like the universe rolling out the red carpet for us all <laughs> to go, this is the way, let's do this. So that's how I got started with it. So that, so it, and you, you found a building that's actually quite special because um, it is a music store, right? Where uh, there is a connection to Sensate and with some of the artists that have been in this building before. Is that correct? And can you share? Absolutely. And I can share. I was going to kind of leave it as a surprise, but no, this is a perfectly good place to do it. Carol Lennon is the owner of um, Lennon Studios, and um, when I said I'm looking for a wall, she goes, I have one. I've been wanting a mural for a long time. What's special about this place, it's where musicians and artists go to rehearse and have fundraisers, and it attracts just the kind of people, artistic people, and all kinds of people who would love this show. Carol is a big fan of Sensate. Jimmy, I think his last name is, I think it's Crucifix or something like that. Jimmy, who works there, is a big fan of the show. And um, this is what I just learned. And I'm going, this is another magic thing. You won't believe who has been rehearsing at Lennon Studios from way back in the day in the 70s. Four non-blondes. <laughs> Incredible. Like, oh, my God. This is just pure magic. This and is. And we there. And recently, um, Shauna, one, the guitarist, was rehearsing there for the Hate Street Fair in San Francisco. And I'm going to post a picture of that on, uh, at some point in our updates. And on the uh, Kickstart, on the Kickstart, you will have a picture of that. Um, awesome. Yeah. So yeah. we also have Deirdre here with us today. Welcome, Deirdre. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for saying yes to this project and for all that you've done to make it happen. Oh yeah. Well, 
We're really excited. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes on in the back end that the fans don't see, but we're ready to go and start this worldwide movement, we hope. Perfect. And you really have been working hard for several months um, before we even reach this moment where people can start to donate. Can you give people a little bit of an idea where their donations are going and why it's so important to have everybody come around, come from around the world to support this in order to make it happen? Why can't you just well, go buy a paintbrush and just do it, right? <laughs> right. Um well, some of the costs that people might not realize uh, are part of the a project is um, the cost to rent the scaffolding, um, cost to insure muralists, um, cost to pay the muralists, uh, all the paint, brushes, drop cloths, and sheer coat supplies. And um, there are also... Uh, contract uh, copyrights um, uh, expense that we have to take into account so there's a lot of expenses in in producing a mural and why people should support it a lot of things begin in San Francisco it seems to be a bellwether we're happy to have the opportunity to start a worldwide mural project right here and uh, available to be a resource, helpful, giving people ideas, uh, you know, how to how to go about securing a wall, uh, some of the legal stuff involved, you know, questions about paints, etc. I think that's awesome. And I think that's so important to note that you are starting this as sort of the prototype of a big worldwide movement and that you're dedicated not just to creating this mural in San Francisco, but to using that and your experience to help put these murals up around the world. And I believe that you would even like to attend the I Am Also a Weekon in Germany to support people and meet up with people there that want to take these projects into their uh, communities. Is that true? Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, I understand that there's still funding needed for that project. So please, everybody, get on board. <laughs> With both projects, we are all a family and we got this. We have enough fans to be able to fulfill all of these projects that are coming out in creative sources. So let's see, tell me again um, where people go and how they are going to donate for you. They can go to kickstarter.com and search by the name of the project, which is I Am Also a We. And then you'll see several pages of information and images. Um, image of the proposed design, um, a breakdown of the costs, an explanation of the reason why we're doing this. Um, Max has a great video that she recorded. Uh, with her explaining the process and and the same idea of you know spreading this message of diversity connection and love worldwide and you know they can see a lot of details about the project and we'll be doing updates every week um, it's a four-week campaign 30 days so every week we'll have a progress report and some other new stuff all right 
And you need people to donate within those weeks or this doesn't happen, right? When we're working with Kickstart, you have to, we have to reach the goal. Um, so when you're donating, it, the donation is contingent on the goal being reached. So we all have to come together and also spread it out on email and, or everything. <laughs> Be a James. Spread it out everywhere um, <laughs> and tell other people to go because not only do we need your donation, but we need everyone to know about this so everyone whose heart is pulled by Sense8 can come and donate and make this happen. Maximilian, what else do you have to say today? I want to let people know that on the Kickstarter page, you can go to About Me, which will not be about me personally, but it will be about Deirdre Weinberg and her work. And there is a website you can go to to see other murals and projects that she has worked on. Um, I want to end it with Art is Love Made Public. Together we can do this. Absolutely. Art is love made public. Thank you, Maximilian and that, Deirdre. That is Thank a line you. from Sense8. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so everybody help. I know, you know, Maximilian, you have the reputation of being the Sense8 mama, right? So <laughs> everybody use your, your love for, for Grace and for Maximilian and, and all of the cast and crew who have been supporting not just the television show that is sensate but the life that is sensate so let's all come together and support this campaign all right thank you too and let's have you back soon so that we can do an update midway good i can i add one last thing yeah so i want to encourage people not just to watch the video on our kickstarter page but to read the details uh about us the story um, there's a section for rewards so that you really understand what is involved here. So thank you. And again, we can do this together. Art is love made public. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Maximilian. And thank you, Deirdre, for all the work you've already done and all the work you're about to do. And I know that right after this episode, I will be going to Kickstarter and I will be searching. I am also a we and I will be donating because it is important. And then I will be sharing and I hope all of you listening will do the same. We will also put the link on the the Patreon and on the write-up of this episode so it's easy for you to find it directly. Thank you both again and come back again in a couple of weeks and give us an update. Thank Thank you you so much, Sheila. Thank Thank you. you. Again, that was Maximilian and Deirdre from the San Francisco Sense8 Mural Project. Their Kickstarter campaign ends on July 17th. So be sure to head over to kickstarter.com, search for I Am Also A We, and click on their campaign and go ahead and donate and Also, evenly importantly, maybe even more, is this, we have to make this happen together. And we need your help to promote this and to get your Sensate brothers and sisters to donate too. So be sure to pause this right now and head over to Kickstarter and donate and share on social media. 
So as a family, we can immortalize Sense8 forever in cities around the world. This episode is an excerpt from our Patreon bonus discussion with Michael Summers. To hear this full discussion and others like it, head over to patreon.com forward slash livesense8 and sign up today. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. We are really excited to have Michael Summers back with us. You know him as Bug in Sense8. We love you, Michael. (laughs) Oh, love you back, Zach and Sheila. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Michael is also in Sorry to Bother You, the Sundance Film Festival hit by Boots Riley, which is going to be released on July 6th. He plays Johnny, the evil boss to Lakeith Stanfield. Michael's favorite stage credit is replacing Jeremy Irons in the title role of Chopin in Chopin and George Sand. Michael's great creative love is the true story, one-man play, Heart in the Hood, which Zach and I saw. And, and was awesome. Amazing. If you want to learn oh, more about Michael's... It was so much fun. So michaelsummers.com, that's summers, S-O-M-M-E-R-S.com, michaelsummers.com, if you want to learn more about him. But hang here with us, and we're going to have a fun discussion about the newly released... Michael, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Great to be back. I just want a one qualifier. It's not going to fun. We're going to have a lot of seriousness and no laughs. There shall be no laughs here. No laughing. No laughing. laughing. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing funny in the the season finale episode. So I don't see why we would laugh. Oh, there's definitely nothing funny. (laughs) It is serious business. Blowing up. Well, there is, but there's laughs too, right? Yeah. There is laughs. There is. That's where my sarcasm is so good that I know. I heard that. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) So we had such an amazing time in Chicago, and we got to hug you. I don't even think we got to talk to you, but we got to hug you multiple times. (laughs) Not too much. No, it was kind of busy, wasn't it? It It was. was. There was so many great people, so much fun happening. How did you tell us how you liked the adventure, what it was like for you to be in the audience with everybody watching it and meeting so many people? Oh, my goodness. Oh, it was, it was over the top fun. Um, first of all, uh, well, just the audience was just so over the top responsive. You know, this was an audience probably like the viewers of this podcast who were incredibly knowledgeable in, about Sense8, but also about all sorts of things like that we're talking about today. You know, uh, the, the, the spiritual connection with people the um, day-to-day ways that that impacts our lives. And uh, so it was incredible. And and the the audience just, uh, you know, was like, bubbling with and exploding with anticipation the whole time and to be the picture i'm i'm sitting in the back row so uh, i'm sitting in the back row with the cast of sensei and uh and i felt really lucky because uh you know i'm surrounded by my favorites in the cast brian smith is on my left 
Cinderella, uh, Ibada is on my right, and Cat uh, Toby is sitting right behind me, James McTeague and Max, Wolfgang Max. And we'll be loud and naughty, you know. <laughs> the class is being uh, like kind of obnoxious in a way because we were just having so much fun, and like and, and like <laughs> and but it was, uh, so it was really fun. But that energy that we had, which was kind of naughty and rambunctious and loud. I, I, at first I was embarrassed, uh, but after a while, like, no, no, this is good. This is right. And, and the, and the whole energy of the crowd, I think, uh, got, it, it took up that energy a little bit. It was a, it was a loud, I thought, talk back to the screen kind of thing. Don't go there, Wolfgang! Don't go there! <laughs> it was you know, that sort of thing. And it was, it was over the top fun, and uh, I was, you know, I, I, I knew I was going to be crying the whole time. If you heard my podcast, you know, last time, I, you know, you know that I, I, I cry all the time when, when Sense Eight is coming up because I'm so uh, grateful, but for Sense Eight itself, for the fans, the fan reactions, the fans bringing us back on for the final episode. Uh, but I'm mostly just, I, I, I'm stunned that I get to be a part of this, you know, like me, really? I get to do this? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. That's how yeah. I felt as an audience member when we were at the VIP event and just watching. Like, yeah. and I, I didn't even get to go act or do all the cool stuff you did, but I was just like, man, this is awesome. I get to be a part of this. I was yeah. very, I was very grateful just to have that experience in my life. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Boy, me too. <laughs> I, I take it Toby. I don't know. I'm just kind of projecting here, but is is Toby the rambunctious one? He seems like he could. Uh, oh, yeah. He could definitely. You nailed that one. Right, okay. He's, he's not the only one. I okay. know, but yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Do you remember being in Vermont for the Preakness? Oh, I sure do. I we don't think it's only Toby. <laughs> Michael, oh, the preakness? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. yeah, but yeah, but they're 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 saying I was kind of loud there. I think it was the Kentucky Derby. Oh, that's what it was. It was Kentucky Derby. But, You're right. Yeah, you were loud. Yeah, Everybody loud was watching. The Kentucky Derby, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I blame that entirely on on Toby though. That's totally, I learned it from him. Perfect. Oh, right. I'm totally sure. I totally yeah. think you were the quiet kid until Toby came along. <laughs> I'd stick with yeah, that it's story. Fault. Yep, yep. Yeah. All right. So now we know that, that Toby's the rambunctious one and he dragged totally. you into it. Yeah. <laughs> it was no, all the peer pressure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, becoming more sensorial. And so it's it's not even peer pressure that isn't even necessary. It's just part of who I am now. Oh, that's I'm great. a part of Toby. <laughs> that's awesome. <Yeah. laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it probably had a lot to do with the last scene, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you guys got to help me figure that one out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, if if you if you watch uh, closely, especially in any of the group scenes and like some of the behind the footage stuff, you know, that, that gets put out from time to time, you'll see, you'll see Toby's the, Toby's the, the man, he's the instigator, he gets our energy 
way up there and particularly when like we're going to dance or do anything uh especially dancing but anything with a big group thing going on totally all he he's a great dancer but he's also a great um like sort of ringleader and uh somebody pushes us on and and uh oh man Man, really fun to hang out with Toby. If you, if anybody gets a chance out there, hang out with Toby. <laughs> Toby, come hang out with us. Awesome. So you had a great time with all the people and all the. Yeah. Had you sure did. had you read the script before? I know you were in a lot of scenes. Did you read the whole script? Did you know the whole oh, yeah. thing or? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. But, you know, I'm going to read it in a different manner than, like, if you were reading it, because right. I'm looking, like, about what do I have to do. Right. You know, and, and if I'm smart, which I'm not always, I will try and read it how you will read it as well. But, you know, I'm so uh, focused on trying to play my role. Right. So you, what was it like? Were there a lot of scenes that you recorded that, I mean, usually this happens that weren't in it. So was it a surprise to you the first time you saw it too, to some degree? Or did you pretty much well, have it in your head? Well, I did have it in my head a lot, I think. But you never know exactly how it's going to... You know, what happens is you have so much in your head, or I did, certainly, um, and you're you're thinking, oh, I wonder which version they're going to choose in editing. Right. And then you, when you see it, that's what you're seeing, what choices they made. But then you can't remember what, what you know, I don't remember what the options were that didn't make it, you know, right. except, unless it was really glaring. And I don't even remember any. So I'm watching it like, oh, I remember where I was. Right. Like yes, uh, when, I'm, yeah. when I'm not in the scene, I, I remember the there's a big out scene now. Now, this is, this, there's, we're airing this after we've seen the. Yeah. Yeah. We're not airing it till everybody or till it's out there publicly. Correct. So you can speak right, away. Right. <laughs> speak away. So there's a big shootout scene and we're actually in a in a warehouse in Berlin, which is a clue that there's no scenes in Berlin in the actual we just shot, we like right. to shoot in Berlin. And I'm just, I'm just remembering, oh man, I was standing behind this big concrete pillar so that I wouldn't get hit <laughs> by anything, you know, and not be in the And I'm thinking about where I am the whole time. And there's a scene with Daryl Hannah. And, uh, and it was just like, I was like, oh man, that was a day where I was watching it with Neil Young, you nice. know? And, <laughs> and uh, and uh, you, that's kind of partly how I'm looking at it. And, right. and I'm looking at it like I'm rooting for my friends, the actors, you know, where, and I'm rooting for the characters too, but I'm, to me, there's no separation, very little separation between the actors and the characters. Right. So, unless they're evil characters. So <laughs> right. then that, Make that clarification you know, that, for Sandra and the, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, Sandy Fish and playing Janet, Nomi's mom, is, is an obvious exception. Uh, you know, Whispers, whose right. parents' man, is an obvious exception. Really nice man. 
but I but I root for him too because I'm like, oh, that was totally evil. Right, no, right. Job, yeah, he's been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Zach's been going around saying Whispers is a really good bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was written really well, and I would have really enjoyed uh, if they had the time to explore that the monster that he became would have been really cool. Yeah, well, they did explore that uh, a lot, didn't they? I mean, I mean, they could have gone further, absolutely. But uh, there, there was there was some good stuff with with whispers. I thought in in this show, and and uh, I just love the thing. Uh, Lana is so good with like symbols and stuff. Like one of his glasses was one of his lenses was broken in his glasses. It was shattered. I don't, you know, that I don't exactly know what I think it means to me, but it meant a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the shattered vision, right? Was it the left or the right? right, Left or right? I want to say it was the right. I want to say it was the right, but I'm not certain. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall. I only saw it once. And I didn't capture that detail. So the left side is the heart and the right is the mind, right? Or the female and the male energy? I don't know. It depends on how deep she went. Right? Oh, she, she would have thought she of would that. Have, right, that's what I'm thinking. Um, well, you're going to have to lead us on some of these because we've only now, so we're recording before it came out, and we've only seen it in Chicago and it was so rowdy because there were these guys in the back. Toby, man. Seriously. (laughs) So we have... Ramping the energy up. But what was that line? What did he just say? I don't know. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. We didn't have the lines memorized. So we need to go over it some more. So you can help us out along the way because we'll definitely have to watch it a few times. And we're going to do... We'll do something later when we've seen it more, but... This um, show is definitely one to watch a few times. That's, oh, that's absolutely. for sure. Yeah. We're actually going to be at a, a Sense8 party. To, when it comes out, to, to watch come it on Friday. Yeah. On nice. The but I think I might watch it before I go to the party, too. Because <laughs> it's another... Why not? Right? <laughs> so we'll see. Um, for the Gilmore Girls special, my daughter and I got up at 3 in the morning to watch it. Because that's when they drop yeah. it. So maybe I'll do that, but I don't think that will get Yeah, I'm going to sleep. It'll yeah, be on Netflix for a while. I don't yeah. really think I'll do it at three. So anyway, going back yeah. to the show. So one of the, you kind of triggered me, and, and we'll have to maybe talk after I've seen more, but Whispers, a lot of that got talked in that realm between realms section, right? With uh, what's all that about? What's your take on some of the... Grant, what was she got? Grandmother or the mother of Whispers, right? Yeah, she was the mother of Whispers, but they were like oh, this world. Yeah, there you go. Lacuna is like this world between worlds, is right? That's what I gathered from the show. It's kind of like this in between space. Between worlds, meaning one world is, is sensei, is sensorum, and the other world is a more normal uh that's the, the that's the what I construed from that. But again, I, it was so quick, and I only got to see it once. Well, well, she's a she's sensorium. Yeah, that's clear. So, right. So that's clear to me. But even sensoriums have to live in the same world that we all live in, and and so 
um, I mean, she's describing a very interesting dilemma that she has, that this one evil offspring of hers, I don't think it'd be that difficult, different if you were not a sensorium. Right. You know, one offspring is killing your other offsprings because of this egomaniacal plan about wanting to kind of live forever. Yeah, so that mother, the lacuna, that was really interesting. I, I think that I, I think that they were, you know, I can't help but think of it. Well, what was the purpose of that? And one purpose was to just say that she's going to tell us where he is because as his mother, she has this connection. She, she knows where oh, okay. he is. So that was that was one Im- importance. But, of course, the other was to describe. I think Lana and the uh, writing gang and the creation gang all wanted to just talk about, well, when a monster is created – how how does that happen, and what does it look like? And I think that was a big reason why she's telling the story. And she's also telling a story about why would a mother turn her back on her on her own son? You know, she's going. She's basically betraying him for good reason. I think we all would say, sure. but still, that's his mother, and that's a very difficult thing. Yeah, you she, jump in there. What, she did yeah. mention that they, she had. There was an, even though he was a monster, that there was still an umbilical cord that connected them as right. from a, a mother to a child. Right. So you know she knew it was going to be painful to expose him and stop him from what he's doing. So I could see that being kind of playing out in our world right now when we have like mass shooters or things like that. They all have a mom, right? Somewhere. Yeah. And, right, and sure. that, you know, why doesn't anyone turn them in first or this or that? I could see that being a reflection of that earthly storyline that we're playing out. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, I think so. And how hard, I mean, I don't know what I would do if my kids turned out evil. Into monsters. <laughs> yeah. Like, that would be really hard because you see them. And I think, I mean, we don't know if there was a longer time to develop whispers, the layers, because there's always layers in someone, right? There is no, I mean, he did seem like a monster and there that energy was very destructive. And so it had to be taken care of. But there was also other aspects to him, right? People aren't mono. Yeah, there are definitely other aspects, and um, and really, I I don't think this episode touched upon what turned him to such an evil exactly. character. Right. It just explained what his what I mean, you know, without it being fleshed out by season three and four and five, um, we're we're left with the thought that he was kind of born that way to a degree. And um, because one, he doesn't explain, he, he, he does say that one line was very, he felt, he felt that um, dissecting these bodies as a medical school, he just saw it the same as, as reading in a book. Oh, that's just right. Just turning the pages of a, of a book was the same as, you know, slicing a, a and he lost his, sensitivity to human beings is one right okay i guess i, I guess that, that is a, a bit of, that is a bit of a of a of a bridge i guess but to me it's just so actually i really liked that um it, because to me 
it is um, Lana is a very intellectual and academic person, obviously with a huge amount of heart, you know, and sometimes those things fight at each other. And to me, her acknowledging that um, sometimes academic pursuit and intellectual pursuit and scientific pursuit could possibly uh, get a little bit too intellectual and lose its heart. I thought that was very interesting and go, go too far in one area. I, that's how I interpret it. Yeah. It was pretty interesting. And in, in just having this conversation, I'm thinking about, it's almost, it seems like a contradiction kind of where whispers, he's a sensorium, but he's kind of lost his empathy in yeah. a way, like she did say that he felt the pain of all of his cluster when he killed them. So he was killing them and feeling the pain at the same time. But for some she, reason, she, there's like this lack or loss of empathy or something overriding it enough where he's going to just endure. That was my interpretation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm remembering what you're talking about. I believe that was Whisper's mother, the lacuna. And she was describing how horrible it was because she's experiencing it from the victim's vantage point as well as the killer's vantage point. That was a really interesting thought. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not sure it was gone into how he lost his empathy except that one explanation that I just said about him um, doing dissections and, and its similarity to reading. But... Yeah, you know, I, I guess I now that we're talking about it, I'm thinking about it, and I, I guess I'm I'm leaning towards the theory that he became too intellectual and too academic pursuit and too much scientific inquiry and law and and that overrode his empathy, his heart. Well, it's interesting because was he then so? You know, Homo sapiens evolve into sensoriums in some way, possibly. And there's a whole dialogue with Jonas and Will or in a, in season one about the the empathy being what makes um, someone a sensei, and that without that, humans can kill and everything. So, is there? Could it even be like? If this was going on a biological thing, could there have been a mutation in him where he didn't feel empathy? Or is it just the symbol of if empathy doesn't get ignited for some reason? And then how does that then make him very different? I'm going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> so. No, you're not. You're not at all. Um, um, to me, everything you're saying goes back to you know, I'm going to just simplify it. Um, everything you're saying is like, well, he was sick or he was damaged or he was, he was a sensorium and also a human. Right. Sensorium is a human, but, but damaged. Right. In, 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 and that's what we're asking is how did he get damaged? We, we don't exactly know. I'm throwing out the intellectual pursuit possibility as a, as a factor that he went too far on that intellectual side of his, himself and lost his Right, you detached from it, yeah. Well, Lana does like to surprise us. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Right, so yeah. we're, we're, logically speaking, I think this is a sound idea. 
And then there's also, we don't know what his cluster life was like and whether his mother favored anybody, right? So there could be this, yeah, I mean, there could be so many different things on what made him become this. I bet she had a wicked surprise we wouldn't thought of. That's what I'm thinking I'm sure there was some, is, was, I mean, or it could be We could always flash back if they want to, but, um, Okay, yeah, and I'm also thinking about, so I used to be a therapist, and at the same time as being a therapist and treating people with mental illness and psychosis, I could see spirit, and I could communicate with spirit, and I could have vision. So, you know, of course, I had to I had to explore, okay, what's the difference between a hallucination and a vision? And the conclusion in that time was that the people that were being treated um, with a psychiatrist for hallucinations or psychosis were very similar to me. However, they were they were grounded in fear and I was grounded in love. So it's kind of the Ooh. same thing that you're talking about with the intellect or the emotion that sort of when you have these visions or these whatever gifts that you have, whatever um, beyond the physical world connections we have, if we base them in fear or love or we base them in empathy or intellect, I think that can make that delineation. Of the experience yeah, I, that we can I, have, yeah. I think that's right. And, and, and where I'm, my brain is going is um, how did a sensorium, how did whispers become so self-centered because that's the other thing because his motivation was to live forever and how and that's incredibly self-centered and i think stupid but uh yeah interesting and again i'm it's all it's like to me it's like balance like he's he's missing his balance and somehow he got self-centered and lost his empathy or turned it off or and it must have been less painful to kill his cluster than it was to live with his cluster Ooh, yeah yeah i guess so, so, or, so right? he, or so he thought right right in his in his perception See, this is why i thought whispers was a badass character like <laughs> right? we're, we're sitting around postulating about what have, could have been and it's really exciting and fun so anyway i i think whispers was a great bad guy yeah and this is why i wanted yeah. you on michael because i was like man we had so much fun just talking all these depths of stuff and let's get us on and just explore oh, this yeah. right <laughs> yeah well, you guys definitely uh, get my brain going, so I like that. <laughs> so let's see. What else? There's so much that was in this. That What else is jumping out to someone? Uh, well, I'm always, I'm always coming back to seeing it, seeing it as from, from the actor's point of view and, and from the friend of the other actor's point of view. Uh-huh. And... And and the construction of it, and so my my mother always says, um, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but people who work at a sausage factory, the people who who actually make the sausage, you'll notice that they don't eat the sausage because <laughs> they they see how it's constructed. That's a bad analogy because 
that means that sausage is made of bad things and sense eight is made up of good things, but I can't help but see the making of it. And that's, um, fascinating to me. Um, one of the things that I noticed was just how Lana and the creative team introduced in, in particularly introduced how she, how she used like the smaller characters and, uh, and, I mean, she did it so well that in Chicago, every time uh, one of the one of the, the supporting characters came on, she did it so well that there was this huge reaction, right. you know. And it was yeah. so um, awesome. When, when when Felix came on, uh, you know, big reaction, and uh, when and Bug I came on, there was I a was huge reaction. On. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and now and, and now Zach, I might as well. I said the words Felix and Bug in the sentence. We'd might as well move on to what you've been talking about. Some uh, you, you, the final scene. Do you want to? Oh yeah. So I guess wanna... if if you want to. Well, so... maybe I should jump in because it's actually you can't. I don't think you can. I don't think you can ever see who's in the um, orgy scene at the end. Um, Like, so for the viewers, if you're confused about what I'm talking about, there are scenes where there are couples in the hotel room and Nomi and Amanita are getting ready to make love and then they make love. And um, Wolfgang and and Rajan and Kala, uh, same same thing, you know. They're getting ready to and make love. Uh, But then they cut back to these, basically these writhing naked bodies all in a big puppy Mm -hmm. pile is what I think of it as. And, um, I had told Zach and Sheila that bug, I was in that scene and so was, um, Felix. And so was Danny, the, uh, the woman from the uh, Mexico city group. We were all there. And so Zach immediately, and I guess probably you too, Sheila, but certainly I heard it from Zach immediately was like thinking about the implications of this. And Zach is thinking, well, does that mean that uh, Bug and Felix and Danny are, are becoming, <laughs> you, you know, do you have to be born a sensate or is it possible to become one? And uh, am I, am I articulating your, your ideas there a little bit, Zach? Yeah, yeah you, they're, they're Sheila's ideas. Yeah, that was actually my cell Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> she had a whole conversation with me thinking it was Zach, but that happens. It does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, I'm sorry. I do, I do. I did know that was you, Sheila. I actually did know that was you. I just forgot. No, that's fine. Good. So, yeah, because and, – and actually, um, yeah, that's that was – so I knew – that you were in the final scene and then we saw the right. final scene and I didn't think anything of it. And then it was like an hour later and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <Would you, laughs> if you were in there, I mean, so yeah. So to me, that was a big deal. Um, Cause it broke boundaries because from that point right. on, that was me. the partners were in it. It was it was people that were either somehow involved in the so I think Danny had been in 
some before. I'm not sure, but because she was hanging I, out with. Yeah, you might be right, and uh, and like I was never clear on that. Were, were we were we saying that uh, Danny was a part of a threesome, or was she just kind of hanging out with Hernando? Right, and I think and- they. Yeah, I think they kept alluding to the fact that they were. Um, involved as a threesome at times, and then this time there's some action going on there, right? And this time she was, you know, more involved in the physical world scene. I think my memory but, of it is. But, but Felix was never alluded exactly. to that he was sleeping with Wolfgang, and, and Bobby was were... never alluded to that he was sleeping with Nomi or Amanita or, or anything, right? So... And you weren't physically because it's been triggered by the physical, right? And you weren't, yeah. So you guys just ended up in there. And so, yeah, so then you said you were in it, you know, well, what it, your answer was something like, well, there was a lot of body parts or something. It was hard to decide between the body parts or whatever. So, yeah, that was a really beautiful scene, first of all. That was a beautiful scene. Yeah. And the music was amazing. And then, yeah. Yeah. But then well, also, yeah, the idea that something is, there's definitely a message in there. She doesn't do things like that without a message well, in there. That's right, and I and and I want to throw out two thoughts if I remember them. First of all, so that final sequence with the writhing bodies and the the love making after the um, wedding was incredibly important to Lana. And Lana, uh, what she was doing, she she feels, and I I guess I should say I feel that. She's maybe the first one who was portraying sex as joy, and everybody else, you know, sex as as lust or sex is gratification. You know, sex is hot or or sex is is dirty or or mean. And uh, Lana was like, well, where, where else have you ever seen sex portrayed? Sex portrayed joyfully. And uh, and that was was really important to her. And and then getting the right bodies in that room was really important to her. And, uh, you know, um, that happened really last minute, actually. And I can't tell you all of the um, I don't know what I'm trying to say is I don't know what the thought process was leading up to it. But I think that Lana would be very much the same as us in her thinking about it is like, well, who cares what the thought process of it leading up? What matters is the implications now. Felix and Bud were there. What does that mean? And I think that Sheila, you and I, and I'm sure Zach is on board, were saying, well, we don't exactly know, but it certainly leaves the door open for human beings to develop the ability to become sensate. I think that's I would agree with the that. mind blowing. Yeah. That's the interesting thing going on there. Yeah, and I think that's important message. Exactly. Because people might think, well, you, you know, I don't I wasn't born a sensate, so how can I have this uh empathy and this um feeling of connectedness? Well, kinda Stick in there, hang in there, and stick with it, and and hang out with with people with empathy, and you might wake up one day and and be in a a puppy pile of naked <laughs> sensei. 
Michael, <laughs> that was beautiful. And that's really what, um, cause Sheila and I talked about this and we kind of thought that that was probably the case because Lana, when we had talked, the like we like we said we've said this on the podcast and stuff you didn't give us any spoilers but you did say that we'd we really appreciate where she was going with this and right. letting people know on a personal level like it like you just said if you're not feeling like you're empathetic and you're you maybe you know that life the the human experience was to be more like you have this subtle understanding but maybe you're not experiencing that you know, it is possible. People are having these experiences and you really can, you can evolve or change in a way where you can open up your psyche and your biology to actually having these experiences because humans have the capacity to do so. So I... Humans have the capacity, humans have the capacity to grow and change and evolve and transcend. Yes. Yes. And I think, yes. I I think that, you know, had it the storyline been drawn out longer, she would have gotten to that in in other ways. But that is such an important message with, especially with the fans from you know so many fans from around the world dedicated to this, and <laughs> and feeling so touched by it. This is the message that we can evolve to this is so important. So having it had to move, in my opinion, it had to move beyond um, it being a separate species that only you had to be born with only if you could have to this is our natural state like you guys were talking about. And I love the way she subtly put it in there because it's not obvious you have to be looking for it so it's not in your face and now you know this is my new message to you it's like when you're ready you will see it yeah that's right and and uh you know amanita was in um buenos aires Mm -hmm. uh, in season two i believe it was and there are some instances where well there were enough instances where i've had fans say to me that they suggested the possibility that humans could become sensates, that that was an, that was where Lana was heading. That thought has been coming for a little bit. So I don't think this is the first hint of that. Right. Lana did show us her tattoo. She does have a homo sensorium tattoo on her forearm. Right. Yes, she does. So it really makes me wonder uh, what her, you know, we know that she's a talented intellectual and she's very she's a genius and she's very brilliant but i i really just want to ask her you know (laughs) are you connected to eight people around the world what does this mean to you where did you you know it takes one to know one and so for her to draw in this experience that she's you know she's got to have some part of her human experience and expression to recall or to to be inspired. So I want to know those, not that she'd ever share them with me, but those are the things I want to know. Well, and she's clear that this is her story. Like she said that. Yeah, she did. Yeah. This is this, this is my life. This is the most personal part of my being. And it's the first time she's been anywhere close to this personal. Right. And so it's very important. And I think that I can answer 
you know, you're, you're obviously I can't answer your question, Zach, but how I look at it is that the answer is yes. She does have all of these things. These, she does have another eight um, around the world, although it may not be eight. Right. And it may not be exactly, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to line up exactly with how she's portrayed the, how, what a sense eight is. Um, She's a great storyteller who uses symbols and she expects you to be able to, or she hopes, I should say, that you are able to to make analogies. And if you're like, well, I uh, I didn't wake up one morning and, and find some guy shaving in my living room from Mexico City or, or whatever happened with when, uh, when Nomi first, when Lido became... Uh, apparent to know me. Anyway, I'm trying to say it doesn't have to be uh, exactly. I'm I'm losing my words here, but exactly analogous, like technically. You know, she hopes that you'll be like, oh yeah, that is similar to how I experience life. And uh, Lana talks all the time about um, certain individuals, um, and her wife Karen is definitely in her cluster, you know. I th- I think she considers all of us uh, in in her cluster, but her smallest, her smallest cluster. She talks about her wife Karen and uh, Tom Tequer, who is one of the directors and the director of Run uh what was it called Run Lola Run? Uh is one of those and and some others and anyway, that's my take on it. She's got she's got some clusters going on. Beautiful. Mike, what you were just saying about um, maybe Lana's interpretation of the story isn't exactly the same as her experience because she's a great storyteller and she loves to use symbols. You know, there's little things in my life that I can relate to. It's kind of funny. Like we we joked early on in the podcast whether I was uh, crazy or a saint and we were playing on one of Grace's lines. But we have this rock. It's um, amethyst. Mm-hmm. This giant amethyst, and one day, I don't, I can't explain it, and I've heard people who t- it talked to me, and I was like, oh, and it wasn't like English, it was just communicating to me, and so I, I listen, and it's happened like two or three times. It doesn't happen all the time, but there's there's little things like that that are very subtle, and one of the things that happens for me every once in a while, I will actually hear music in my head that I'm not particularly interested in or would have not thought to go turn on. But once I start hearing it, I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go to YouTube and I'll put in this song. And then it's like one song after another, after another. So it's like somewhere in my, somewhere in my psyche or some, someone I'm connected with in this unity consciousness, somebody close to me, I'm like, I'm tuned into their frequency. Well, now, yeah. I don't know if yeah. that's somebody who's crossed over or somebody who's over live. And another example from somebody who is alive, um, this is an example I use often, is cravings for food. There will be times where I come downstairs and I'm like, hey, are we going to go to Subway for dinner? Which is not something I would do, but I know 
that Justin loves Subway. And so if he's craving it, I can crave it too. So it's just like these these little tiny snippets of being able to pick up on other people's feelings and cravings yeah. and, and things like that. So it doesn't have to be so extravagant this is where we have a man wake up in our living room or whatever, you know, or right. he wake up and he's shaving and he's from another country. But there's these these subtle hints uh, in our human experience that we can go, oh, man, you know, this isn't exactly mine. And, and as an empath and healers, they they feel this, too. Like, as as a healer or a coach, if you're empathetic or intuitive, you can actually have a really bad day <laughs> and your client shows up and they're having the bad day that you're having. But you have that bad day so you can actually get through it before they get there. So you have the tools to allow them to move through what they need to, and that's part of being intuitive and empathic. So um, that that's what I would have to say, uh, a realistic yeah. approach to ha- knowing a cluster, or um, and it might not look like eight different people or whatnot. Yeah, I think it's so important to remember their symbolism in it, especially when yeah. people are so in love with the show and analyzing it, and we're here analyzing it, but we have to remember that that, that symbolism and I think that's partly why we even did the podcast is so that people remember that it translates a little bit differently in life. Like we're not necessarily connected because our birthdays were the same day. It's a different, it's a frequency thing, but that makes a good storyline. Exactly. Exactly. I think we'll find more, uh, I like the word usefulness, more benefit from these stories and which can be, used as lessons if we choose, if we don't take it so literally. Like, we sort of have a very literal, concrete, scientific culture. <laughs> and, I, and I think that if we, I think we can benefit by just loosening that up a little bit. Yeah, I've, I, I've been working I, on that for the last few yeah. years. I was all serious well, business, and now it's more about creativity and joy and just... Uh, having adventure days and things like this. And and life goes so much smoother and the experience is way better for me personally. Well, I think, I think even knowledge because, uh, gosh, you just saying, um, Oh, I, I, I forgot the concrete example, but, um, but, um, Darn, I had something I forgot. I, now I have to tell a different story. Um, so here, here are two examples that of I think that, like, for example, I think science sometimes will say that, um, well, this doesn't, I think science has been saying in the past, and, and they're loosening up on this now, if I understand properly, that uh, extrasensory perception ESP and things related to that, they don't exist. And really, when you look at it, what they were saying is that they can't be proven. Well, that's an, that has nothing to do with where it doesn't exist or not. It just means you can't prove it using scientific data. And so if you start realizing that, you know, proof and whether it exists is completely different, I think we need to loosen up. And I want to tell us about... Um, Time. So these two things are about time, and I think it's related to human action too. Um, my theory. Let me tell the story first. I have a friend who works with a dog rescue. I feel like I told this story on the other podcast. So <laughs> beware. <laughs> 
my friend worked at a dog rescue, and her job was to place the dog. And so she would she went to this house with this chihuahua, and and she thought, oh, this family is fantastic. I think I'm gonna this is gonna be a good fit. But the dog was like, no, 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 and so. To her credit, she was like, no, I, she lets the dog decide, really. Awesome. And so she's, she's like, no, I'm not. And then they're going to the next house, and she couldn't find the gate to get in the front door. She couldn't find the gate, and the dog's pulling her to the side. He's like, where, where are you going? This, the door's got to be over here. And she's like, well, all right. So she let the leash off, and the dog ran down this alley, through a doggy door in the gate, through a doggy door in the back window, ran straight into the kitchen and lay down on the dog bed underneath the kitchen table. Home sweet home. Home sweet home. And um, some people say that that's maybe it was the dog that recently died and got reincarnated into this chihuahua. I have a different philosophy. It's that the dog remembered where all of those things were from the future. Cool. This is freaky, but meaning the dog had done that a thousand times, but in the future. So time isn't the way we think of it, going from the past to the future only. It's more fluid than that. Anyway, that's my weird philosophy. Does that make sense? Yep. <laughs> it sure does. It's awesome. I once had a friend of three friends of ours would wait for the fourth friend to come home every day. We were living in Chicago. And uh, our friend was a chef, and so we're no dummies. We wanted him to cook us dinner. And so we're waiting for him to get off his work so he could come home and feed us. And, uh, and it, it would take – you never knew when he would come home. But when you started talking about Joe, like really extensively, we learned to know that Joe was going to walk in the door in about five minutes. And it happened day after day after day after day. And we came to, we were like, well, this is not a theory to us anymore. This is just a fact that we know that Joe is coming. We can sense his presence, that he's coming one way or another from about five minutes away. And that's just a fact to to us. And we all agreed. <laughs> you know, um, one of the examples I like to use as far as um, human experience versus science is is vision. You know, our eyes are only are the sense of vision that we have it can only see a small bandwidth of color. Ah. And we can't see gamma rays. We can't see all like radiate. We can't see this stuff. But until it wasn't until the invention of these um, machines where we could scientifically prove them, but it didn't mean that they never they don't exist. And to this day, we can't see them unless we use technology to see them. And I think that is um, science itself has a culture. It's almost to me um, like religion in a sense, where sometimes if we're we're not the me scientists. Too ourselves we just kind of take the scientist's word for it and it's the best thing we have to offer it's kind of like religion a lot of times in religion is you know we, we hear something and we just take that as face value and, and we, we're not really the scientist and we don't approach it with our personal experience in life is 
in, in my opinion, best when we can actually have those experiences. So, and we can have these uh, sensate experiences or telepathy or, or empathetic things without science. We can have those. But in, in the beginning of sensate, the very first thing Jonas talks about and teaches the cluster is being able to trust yourself. And I think our culture kind of um, has taught us not to trust ourselves and that's the the biggest thing to overcome is like am i crazy because this because this rock is talking to me no i'm not crazy i know what's going on i'm completely sane so it's no big deal you're nailing it zach you're nailing it that's 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 what i like to think about is just the the scope of color and the, the the light spectrum is so broad so broad we just can't see it or we're not trained to see it you know you don't you know how we were talking about, um, I forget exactly how Nomi first sees Leto, but we were saying he's shaving in her bedroom or something like that. It was something like that. She right. just sees Leto and she doesn't know who this guy is and what he's doing there. And, and um, basically we're seeing a scene where she's awakening to this. And that's exactly the word I want to suggest is that... Um, was that maybe Nomi was, and all of the sensates, when they started coming, it wasn't like time had passed and the clock had come, had just like ticked, oh, there's the alarm, it's time for me to start noticing that there are these seven other sensates in my life. I am wondering, I'm suggesting, if that came about because they all started rising above the they had personal development and an aspect of it is turning off what you're describing Zach turning off this sort of culture or culture that wants you to see everything on a on sort of a broad um, national international scale this is the truth uh, rocks don't talk to humans Zach so <laughs> that's not that's not possible but but if you turn that off a little bit and you open up to your own personal sensations, maybe that's when Nomi started noticing Lido and the others. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's another important. Like it touches on another symbol that we want to help everyone, including ourselves, remember because we say the birthing of a cluster. That's like something happening from outside of you that you have to wait for, but really it's a symbol of that awakening that happens when you're ready, like you're saying. Right. And that's really an important delineation between fiction and truth and symbolism. And you are suggesting there's an aspect that is in your control. Yeah. Something that you can do yourself. You don't have to wait for the exterior to happen to you. And the other thing that is really noticeable, like they're confused in the beginning, but they all accept it and they don't freak out and try to suppress it. Like um, Sun at one point is like, I'm going to put you aside. I choose to set you aside or something, but it didn't work. But yeah, they're not like, uh, they're not. You don't exist. Yeah, they're not freaking out in a fearful way, and they're not freaking out in an excited way. Because I think that getting too excited about an incident that happens like that can almost reduce it, too. 
because it makes it seem like it's a single event where if you bring it into your life, it becomes the normal flow. Does that make sense? They, yes, I think normal is like sort of the right word for me in that you're, you're, if you get too excited, um, then you're saying that this is abnormal. But I think they somehow deep down within them, they knew that this is somehow kind of normal. Right. They just hadn't. Yeah. This is. Yeah. Well, if we if we look at the actual if we look at birth itself, uh, uh, there's two experiences. You have the mother and she's birthing something from inside of her. It comes from within her and leaves right. her. Right. So if if this birth process comes with from within and then it externalizes itself, as in they are starting to, um, as you mentioned, have this personal development, whatever that is in their particular situations, and then they start getting the external um, or the external experiences. Right. So first it's visions and then voices and then they meet in person. Mm-hmm. Right. So it goes the, the from the inside out. Right. And I also do think that the birth is symbolic because of the god, the divine goddess within us awakening, because we all have an alpha and omega. We all have the god and the goddess energy or the divine feminine and divine masculine inside of us. And our society emphasizes the thinking, the masculine, the um, intellect. And then when that awakens inside of us, that's the empathy, the connection, the sensorium type of energy. So I think that was part of the symbolism of doing it that way, too. Yeah. Oh, I think very strongly. Yes. Yes, Sheila. Yeah. And I think that there's something um, there's a like we're sort of talking about a a metaphysical um, and spiritual statements. And there's a very concrete sort of political statement going on at the same time, which is that it's this masculine, like the way I would phrase it is the masculine is out of balance. It's, it's more emphasized and more stressed at this moment in history. And a lot of people would argue that that's causing our many of the problems in, in the world. And that, uh, Lana is saying, well, the way I want to phrase it is, here we come. <laughs> right. Here we, here, we're coming. And, um, you know, I, bef- I had something that I wanted to say. This is the perfect point to say it. Um, let me speak to the, uh, set this situation up for the viewers, because it maybe wraps the whole thing into a little package, because I'm back in Chicago, and we have just uh, had this overwhelming experience of watching the final episode within this huge theater with 700 incredibly uh, excited and knowledgeable and sensitive, caring fans. And uh, so we, Lana leads us all up on stage. We're going to have a, a little question and answer. Uh, so we're taking questions from the audience. And one woman stood up, and let me see if I can phrase it close to what she said. She said something like, I believe she's from China originally, and she was asking Lana, what message do does Sense8 have, what message does Lana have for people in places like China where they do not feel that they are allowed to love the people that they would like to love. And 
to live in the manner and to love in the manner of their own choosing. And Lana said, first of all, you are not alone. And she emphasized that quite a bit. And I, I guess I was feeling too shy or I, I wanted to hear what Lana was saying and I wanted to say something else. Uh, but I didn't, so I'm going to take this opportunity to say it now. Excellent. Go for um, it. To the woman in Chicago, um, what message do we have? I think it's very clear that Sense8 is saying something that's not only you are not alone, but it's that we know you're out there, and we may not know exactly where, but we can feel you. We know you're there and we're looking for you and we are coming mm. and we will fight for you. That is one of the most important messages that I think in sense eight is that, are you one of these people who is being uh, oppressed somehow, not allowed to live to your full potential? Well, not only are we looking for you and we know you're there, we're going to find you, but we are willing to fight and we will fight and we are coming. That's beautiful. This episode is brought to you by Tracy Wright, Conscious Parenting and Living Coach. She's shining clarity with compassion and understanding. You can find out more about her on consciouslyawesome.com. We also have Marisa Dranchak, Conscious Life Coach. Discover how vibrant life can be. You can find out more about Marisa at myconsciouslifecoach.com and Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. Check out Divine Phoenix Books at divinephoenixbooks.com. And I wanted to point out something that happened um, in Chicago uh, while we were watching it. So... The uh, gosh, what's her name? She she keeps she keeps fighting. She's the daughter of the Lacuna, who's going to be the next Lacuna, and she has the tattoo on the back of her head. That's all. That's how I know her. The, yeah. the bald chick with the tattoo on her head. The monk chicken. Yeah. yeah. I wanted yeah. to talk about this too. I'm really glad you brought it up. Okay, go on. <laughs> so she has a phrase where we're in. I think we're at the feast at the chateau in in France. And she pops into our feast and she asks us again to basically to fight. Basically, she's been asking us to try to kill Whispers whole show. And um, I forget what she's asked, but she says at one point, she says, and I may get this, I'll get this quote close to right. It may not be exactly right. She says, neutrality in the face of such overwhelming evil is complicity. Mm -hmm. And when she said that, Lana, who was absolutely one of the loud, obnoxious cast members, <laughs> <laughs> Lana shouts out, thesis statement. <laughs> and so I wanted to just point that out, that that phrase is something that Lana herself, uh, you know, I think it was Lana. It may have been Karen. I'm pretty sure it was Lana. It sounded like Lana. That that was a statement that was very a one of the thesis statements. So right. neutrality in the face of such overwhelming evil is complicity. So I I uh, 
want to throw that out there. Excellent. So what's so important about Janet's journey is she was the she was one of the only very personal characters, meaning BPO is like an organization. Whispers is, is almost like, I almost don't see him as a, an individual. No, I do see him as an, I take that back. Um, but Janet is, is Nomi's mother and, and she, she turns, she flips. Um, and she sees, I guess it goes, she sees Nomi for who she is and appreciates Nomi. She says, Nomi is such a beautiful name. I didn't know why I didn't see that right away. And it's very akin in my mind to um, Bug and Felix pushing the envelope to becoming a sensei, like approaching, becoming, they're transforming. They Maybe they're on the road to becoming a sensei. Maybe Janet is on the road to becoming a human. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she is. <laughs> and, and then on the road to being a sensei, or however you want to look at it. She's, trans, she's transforming. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, I think um, that's what I figured you meant as well. I think that looking at it, it's the one, it really is the only character that makes that full transformation and that it's an important representation to have within the series. I, I like how you put that she's going to be more human or becoming right. more human, right? More in touch with herself. Uh, that was great. And uh, I loved the brownies because the fairies got to be in that that little, <laughs> they're the catalyst for the transformation. And if it wasn't for Sheila, I actually wouldn't have thought of Nomi's name as Nomi, but we had that conversation with uh, Sandra and, and Sheila and so, because I sometimes I'm desk like that. So I was just really glad for anybody who didn't hear that podcast or come to that conclusion that they actually just made it that blatantly obvious and put it in the show. I thought that was important too. What do you mean exactly? That she went from no me, not a, not well, a, not a person I to... Didn't, I didn't... Okay, so when it comes to Michael going from Michael to no me, like I didn't... The spelling I thought was like N O M I, know me, but it's oh, it actually yeah. right. It's I know, way, but it meaning is K N O W space M E, know me. Yeah, it's very clear. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, to Zach, me, it's very clear right. to the rest of us. <laughs> right. So I'm glad Lana put that scene in there just for me <laughs> to spell oh. that out for me. Because, um, like I said, if I didn't have somebody point that out, I wouldn't have got it anytime soon i guess that's my point <laughs> sometimes i'm dead yeah. so i appreciated that <laughs> yeah i i never got a chance to do this but i uh i wrote a letter to lana but i edited this for length out of it where i was i like to i like to give people new names and my new name for lana is yes you it's the opposite of know me right yes, you <laughs> got it <laughs> yes you <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't even think of no me as no me. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You know what, Jack? Yeah. You, you, you know what, Jack? I missed that. You said K-N-O-W. And I had, uh, you're right. I didn't think of it. Maybe I'm the one who's dead. <laughs> I, I, um, I, uh, I always heard it as N-O, second word M-E. But K N O W is uh, I'm I'm certain 
that was probably Lana's surf meaning. Well, I'm you glad know. we had this conversation. Well, no, this is really awesome because it, it could work. In the first scene in the right. hospital, there's no me. Like, she doesn't ha- exist. And it could have felt that way. And then at the I, end, it's no me. That's a great name. How did I ever know? So, yeah, it could be the transformation of the two. Well, there's also no exclamation point, me explanation point. Right. 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 <laughs> Lana just blew all of our minds. <laughs> with one word, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> with just one name. Yeah. It's so deep. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Well, this has been an incredible time. I'm Hell so yeah, glad. It has. I, I just knew talking the three of us would be a blast, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, we should share it with the public because we're such a blast. Wouldn't everybody want that? <laughs> That's right. That sounds great. Awesome. Yeah, well, well, thank you so much. This has been a real treat for me. Yeah, us too. Yeah. For sure. And what do you have coming up that you want people to know about, Michael? Well, uh, I guess the main thing is um, Sorry to Bother You is the film that you mentioned earlier. Uh, it's really interesting film. I, I Check it out. It's going to be on July 6th, and a lot of big stars in that, and I, uh, I'm real happy I get to play the evil boss in the first half of Lakeith Stanfield, who's... Uh, he's famous from Get Out, and he's also in Atlanta. He's he's just a fantastic actor. Army Hammer plays the evil boss in the second half. So there, Danny Glover is in it, um, oh, Pat Oswalt, all sorts of uh, people. And it just came as a super low-budget film that came out of nothing from my neighborhood. Boots Riley is a hip-hop legend from a band called The Coup. Mm-hmm. And he grew up uh, in my neighborhood in West Oakland, just about a mile from here. And it's all set in my neighborhood. So that was extra added fun for me. Yeah. Very and, cool. Yeah, uh, that is cool. So where do we see that? Is that coming in theaters or on? Yep. It'll be in theaters. And they said it's going to have wide distribution. But awesome. as somebody from Vermont originally, I don't exactly know what that means. Meaning. Right. Does it go to Vermont? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it will, but I, how widely, I don't know. But you should be able to uh, find a theater somewhat near you awesome. uh, around July 6th. Even in Vermont, I bet they'll have somewhere in Burlington will have it at least. <laughs> Great. Well, they should. You're in it, right? Their local yeah, star. Yeah. Right. We'll call them up and tell the theater. You need to have All that. right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thanks again, Michael, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you. Thank you for your awesomeness. Yes, and- thank you very much, Mr. Michael, for your awesomeness, yep. sharing yeah, it with back us. Back at you. Yeah, back at you. We love you. I love you. Amen. I, I love you too, Michael. <laughs> I love you right back. I love you both. <laughs> yeah. 